hello and welcome to this edition of the Retail Tech Review. We're joined today by Nistar Chandahok from Channel Advisor. Nistar, thank you for coming in. Thank you very much. For uh, and as always, my faithful sidekick, Lindsay Rowntree, is here as well. Hello. Um, cool. So our first topic today uh, is a story that we covered in our research roundup uh, a week or two ago. Um, and that's that marketers are failing to make a strategic change to adjust for voice search. Um, so the the research shows that while marketers are aware of the impact that voice is going to have on the retail sector, a third, well, nearly a third, 29%, aren't making any effort to address the, the changing landscape of, of search here. Um, and obviously this means that the rest of them are making the changes, which is great. Um, but I think I, my, my first question to you guys is why are there, I mean, 30% is, is a significant figure. Why are there laggards here, do we feel? Uh, it's a good question. I think a, a lot of parallels can be found with what it was like with mobile not too long ago. Um, I think the laggards mainly stem from just a fear of, of understanding voice, it, it, to be quite honest. I think we, we see the same thing where not everyone's adopted it, and that's mainly because perhaps they haven't really invested properly, and that's not just the technology itself, but actually teams. Um, I think a lot of Brands and retailers have a really big problem where they're so stuck into what they're trying to do and the retail landscape's changing so much that I think less of the focus has been on some of the new age channels that are coming in and how to address that. Um, obviously, we've got like so many options now with social media channels and where do we put the money there? Do we invest in that? Do we go back to our own brand? What's the voice of the brand? How is that working out? Um, so I think mainly we have the early adopters who've started to take on. I think there's big players obviously like Google and Amazon. Um, and I think people are jumping on things like Amazon Choice, which is like a really easy way to to get on there using um, Alexa, for example. But I think it, it's it's fear and a, a lack of understanding that seems to, especially the brands we've spoken to, a lot of it is just not knowing, not really knowing where to go and, and how to do it. Yeah. Do you think there's a feeling that it might be a bit overhyped? And I mean, obviously people are saying it's the next big thing. I mean, people said that about mobile for years and it is turning out to be true, but... It took a long time to get there, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. Because so maybe we're in the same. Maybe it's going through the same cycle as mobile did, as you said, Nista. And then we're at the moment we're a bit like, oh, I'm not sure this is actually going to take off. So it'll be the year of voice for the next decade. Yeah, and then we finally actually yeah. achieve the year of voice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's there's a lot more limitations with voice than with mobile, though. For example, so I, I, I think part of it stems from. I mean, if you think of the react of the, the interaction you'd have with. Uh, Echo, for example, right? If, you, if you're asking for a product search, you're really only going to get one or two options coming back to you. So I think if I was a brand or retailer, I'm naturally thinking, well, what is the likelihood that I, because then if a lot of it is driven by keywords and searches to that extent, how much am I going to have to commit and spend so I'm chosen to actually be that product search that comes up? So um, I think it's like we said, the, the, the base lack of information i think definitely as it goes along because i think the technology is evolving so much though echo show now you can actually you know you can actually see things in front of you which it makes it a little bit easier and i think there's a little bit of lack of trust when you can't see something and you're just hearing it so um i definitely think over the next two years we're going to see a massive spike because actually it's being adopted more and more now and i think the the figures from 2017 to what we've just recorded i think up until july there's been a, a, a small spike in the last six months. And I think that's only, I think our expectation is by 2020, we're going to see more of a, a jump to near 50%. It might be quite ambitious. Wow. Yeah. Right? But, you know, as we say, like the, the, 
the time scale now for the development of tech is a lot shorter than it was before. And we're also adopting technology a little bit quicker rate than we were previously. So um, it's definitely something that's growing and, and it's going to be a big part of it going forward. Um, how quickly it's it's going to yeah. be interesting. I guess from a brand's perspective, it's always as as a up and coming sort of medium as voice is it's hard to fight for the budgets against things i mean mobile now has its place in every brand's budget whereas you're coming in there as as the newbie and you're trying to make a claim for that budget is always going to be quite hard yeah it's untried and untested and even mobile still struggles to get on the media plan and be used effectively the way it should be and when brands are investing in mobile are they investing in the right places not necessarily voice it'll take a long time for voice to get up there but i also questioned and i'm interested in your perspective on this nistar is are we when we talk about voice are we talking about it in the wrong context we refer to voice as voice search and actually are people searching for products and adding things to their basket on their alexas on their google homes is that realistic or should we be looking at the other things voice can bring us like the data that actually exists behind it kind of using it for context for semantic targeting understanding a consumer better based on what they are using voice tools for like the like you know from your from their phones to their home assistants mm-hmm. um I, I think i think the first thing you said is quite relevant so i think a lot of people are using voice to search for a product and then sort of saving it and putting it in your basket to complete a little bit later. So we're seeing that a lot. I mean, if you think of the Amazon Prime model, or at least Amazon as a whole, people end up saving it as a shopping list and then going back, whether they do that on a, a desktop or mobile, all the data suggests mobile is becoming a lot more relevant in that case. But um, I see voice as more, it's as a on the side. It's something you're, you're doing something and then you're just, you know, you're having, you're, it's a tick box exercise really. So I think there's more value in um, having people use it in that mechanism, really, because then what we're seeing is, you know, Amazon do alerts if there's been a price change, and that actually prompts a lot of people to actually then complete the transaction. Um, so I, I definitely think on the on the shopping list basis, it, it's becoming a lot more useful for people. So people shouldn't expect it to be almost an acquisition tool at this stage, but more of a prospecting it's tool. Too early. Yeah, I think it's too early. I think we're. I think everyone's now just got used to a mobile, or, and mm. I, I think that like mainstream, it's it's become like mainstream now. Um, so I think it'd be too much of a jump to to judge there. But I, I'm as keen as anyone to see how it yeah. how it goes on because it's uh, we can do more things at one time. So help someone like me anyway who's fairly useless. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, second story this week um, is a little bit left field from the ones we normally go for, perhaps. But um, it's about M and S who are partnered with specialist retail and consumer investment firm True, um, and this partnership is going to give M&S access to 2000 enterprise ready business uh, solutions every year as part of their ongoing digital transformation um, and as they kind of move towards a digital first business this is going to give them new ways to engage their customers which is obviously great for them um, so I, I mean with this is is this something is, is this going to be a anomaly or is this something we're going to see perhaps more of as we go forward because I mean as tech as firms and brands look to become more tech-led are they going to partner with people like true as opposed to building out all the solutions themselves i think it would take a lot of work to go and build something out your, yourself um m&s have been such a household name for so many years i think what they do they do it quite well i know they've had real big challenges over the last five years um and part of this whole project is is sort of five-phase project I think they have and this is phase one really just being digital first and digital ready so 100% I think 
the best way to move forward is really to make strategic alliances with experts in in the different fields because I, I don't think there's any one person that can do everything um, even if you look at some of the big players that we talk about Google Amazon they strike up partnerships because it's it's a, a recognition that there are other people who know what they're doing and it's it's your ability to partner with them to deliver success for your own clients and I think for MS it's something they've needed to do um, and I think it'll help just bring back a lot of consumers which they've lost over the last few years mm. i think it's i think it's interesting and quite exciting and the, the thing about mns i mean mns is a very very traditional brand but you know Nistar, as you say they have been making great strides and they do have this five-phase approach in terms of digital mm. transformation and this is actually a really interesting move access to these these firms does not necessarily mean that they'll be implemented or be able to comfortably use them and be able to implement them across kind of their different business processes and business units but it's a really interesting start and I'll be fascinated to see how they start using them and adopting them and you know getting ideas from how they can make the yeah. most of that because they you know bless them they are trying bless them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bless the it's like 200 200 different startups I think they have access to yes. through this partnership so um, I don't think it's going to be like we go into MS next week and there's a robot server. No. Or like <laughs> no. a drone is going to start dropping something yeah. in. Well, but. that's the thing because because they are such a household name, they've got a long way to come. I mean, saying that they're going to be digital first is it's easier said than yeah. done. They have got a long way to go. So do you, do you, I guess digitally native kind of the di- the direct consumer brands, the e-commerce pure plays, do they have more of an advantage in this field at being being digital, being digitally first? than M&S so are, are they going to be able to build that relationship with the consumer through digital means easier than someone like M&S I think if that's your first if that's your plan A I think you're always in yeah. an advantage I think for someone like M&S plan A was obviously getting people into stores and you rolled out the web orders things like that but um, if you look at like Warby Parker has such a massive following and it's purely just they made brand advocates out of all of us um, so I think when you are uh, a pure play or, or that's your first MO, then I think um, you're in a much healthier position. But I think all these other larger organizations, what they're trying to do is become a little bit more agile. And there might be my basically segmenting each area department into like a single business unit, right? So they're, they're responsible for their own sort of journey a little bit. Um, and I think we're going to see that a lot more from larger organizations to combat the fact that they're losing so much share I think someone was saying they're being nibbled to death or something. That was the term, which was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's like a delightful twist on it, isn't it? It's less threatening, but um, it, it is the point. There are so many different little players who are coming in with this amazing sort of transformation of the whole landscape that, you know, big brands, big retailers, they, they need to do something. And, and I think this is just one example of what a lot of people are doing. I think Tesco's and Carrefour have struck up for a little bit away, right? But they've struck up this partnership just to combine buying efforts, which yeah. obviously means they can deliver lower prices to us because everyone's going to Lidl. Everyone's going to... My mom yeah. shops at Aldi all the time now. So it's like she raves about it. She was swore <laughs> that she, she always was a Tesco's person or Waitrose person, but she's finding great things there and the prices, food's good. She's happy. And I think that the emphasis now is on consumers getting real value. So... Um, it's exciting for yeah. us, I think, as a consumer, really, about the options on offer. I wonder if we'll see them make an acquisition in that space then, rather than taking all these solutions that haven't maybe been tested as much as they would have liked. Maybe they just buy a, a, a DTC brand, a, a pure play, and try and roll that out across their, their wider portfolio. 
Well, this is a trend, isn't it? That you see many, many traditional retailers doing just that. Kind of, in, particularly in the US, it's happening fairly yeah. frequently. Um, PetSmart buying, I forget what the name of the site was, but a huge, huge um, pet site in the US was bought by PetSmart yeah. because they thought, well, if we can't do online ourselves, we may as well buy a company that is absolutely smashing it in that space. <laughs> yeah. And it's working really well for them. And you could start seeing something like that. There's plenty of opportunities, plenty of companies out there for MS to kind of to, to look at and say, yeah, this is what we want to do. And this is how we can make it work. Yeah. You can't beat and buy them. Yeah. It's the philosophy everyone's doing now. Mm. Cool. Moving on to our last one. So I was just trying to get my head around a massive acquisition of pet stores. It's just not <laughs> something that we're really used to in the UK. It's just foreign. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, the, the third topic today is um, third party versus social. And again, this is something we covered in the research roundup a couple of weeks back. Um, and the story is basically there's a growing friction between third-party e-commerce sites and social media platforms because they're both competing for a finite amount of consumer attention. Um, so 71% of businesses report using social media more than any other digital medium to market their business. This is way ahead of e-commerce and paid advertising. Um, and respondents, uh, say so the the brand said they're 138% more likely to drive traffic to their own website than to another e-commerce site. Um, I, I guess the first thing here is why why is social becoming so much more popular than an e-commerce site? Because obviously when, when it starts out, social was a means of just in, interacting with the brand, but never buying anything. And now it's obviously made that trans, transition. Why is this happening? I think it's mainly because I mean, if I look at it from a brand perspective, I think the emphasis has shifted from just the experience you'd have in store to now there's an actual story. You're trying to have a feel for the brand. So I think brands are still caught up in that mentality where they're not so comfortable having sales occur on like a third party channel and, you know, giving a commission or a cut of it, essentially. Um, and it's easier for them to develop their own presence and develop their own story via some of these channels, whether it's by, um, you know, if you look at some of the video content, what we're really finding is that a lot of brands who are really having a success is when they're doing a mix of both, because it isn't, it doesn't have to be like an either or. Really, what you need to do is develop a presence on both because they cater to a different audience. I think the age group as well is, is quite interesting there because, um, if we look at millennials, it's, you know, it, it's so heavy focus on social and the engagement there. And if you don't have enough of a presence there, then you'll lose out on that demographic. But alternatively, the older generation, we would say, and I think this is going above the age of 29 or something, roughly, they would say that you need to be more present on marketplaces or some of these digital channels, because that's where a lot of people trust. If you invested money in a, a membership program, if it's the ASOS delivery, if it, you're looking at um, Amazon Prime, for example, it tends to be a, a, a someone with a little bit more wallet size that would be doing something like that. So um, it definitely needs a, a mix of both. Um, and I, I think it's sometimes it's hard to get that message across. Yeah. Do we think data is an issue as well then? Because obviously when you're selling through a, a third party site, then they're keeping a lot of your data and they get to... Like, I mean, Amazon... Always comes up. Exactly. Am Amazon is... Yeah. They're basically making their own range of products based on the data that they're collecting on, of other people, other sellers. Um, so do we think brands might be trying to combat that and then realising that people like Amazon could actually become their competition if they sell through them? So they're directing people to their own e-commerce site. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's a real valid concern we're seeing out there with brands. But if you look at the flip side of it, 
a lot of people who are now searching for products, they're not searching on usual search engines or a brand website. I, I think it's it's roughly about 60%, they say, that these searches are happening actually on marketplaces. So if brands aren't present there, whether you have an issue with data or not, you're not even in the, the race for that consumer at all. So you're losing significant market share just by not playing. So um, data always comes up. A lot of meetings we have, a lot of conversation, it does come up. And you just, you know, it, the fact of the matter is you don't own that data. You, you get very limited, you know, consumer information, to be honest, address, name, things like that. Um, but I think a lot of brands are now coming around to the idea where, you know, they're, they're happy to sacrifice that if it means yeah. that they can, you know, hopefully, the, the plan is really have a first-time purchase on something like a marketplace and then have repeat business come back to your your own website um, or your own brand store, which which then continues the engagement and then you own that data really there at that point. Because mm. it's, it's still about your bottom line right so if a marketplace is where you're driving revenue you have to still entertain that and kind of going back to the previous point it's, it's very generational kind of the, using social versus using marketplaces the millennials centennials are more likely to be using social but then again it's a different strategy because the marketplace is that you are people are going to a marketplace because they are searching for something specific if you look at how socials use like instagram and, and pinterest as well it's mm. much more about discovery yeah and the dtc brands are doing that extremely well because yep. they are making everything look absolutely beautiful and everyone's kind of just trawling through their favorite you know geordie shaw character social media <laughs> account and finding oh yeah i love that yeah and obviously everything is tracked and added and there are even now third party sites 21 buttons is a great example it's an app that you can an instagram an influencer will tag that as a 21 buttons app and you can download the app and you can see all the aggregated items that all your favorite social media stars are wearing so even these kinds of that you know it's an affiliate technically but it's actually still helping to push the direct to consumer come direct to my site don't go to my site don't go via a marketplace mentality of kind of what millennials and millennials are looking for and the fact that you know instagram is doing it really really well and now pinterest is finally starting to get the hint and and actually sort of allow people to buy through its platform it's it's making a massive massive difference i think that is where the generational aspect comes into it marketplaces are always massively will always be massively important i think and kind of going to the data piece yeah it's a sacrifice you probably have to make there's a massive argument around whether, well, actually, it would help both the marketplace and the retailer and the brand if we were sharing data, because it would mean the brand would be able to grow if they had more data around who's buying it and what their demographic is and kind of how much they're spending or what else they were looking at. It would help both parties, but we aren't going to get to that anytime soon because there's yeah, still a I massive don't... kind of defensive play here. No, no, I, I yeah, I 100% agree. I don't think we'll, we'll find that happy medium where everyone will start sharing data because that's where really... Uh, uh, that's what everyone's competing for, right? That's the, the actual currency people are playing for at the moment. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. You need to really... Social gives you so many options and so many ways to influence consumers and get... I mean, the discovery phase is so interesting just because you can do so much in terms of how the brand's portrayed, how the products are visualized. Um, and when you look at, you know, it's not just about images and, and how you're scaling those images. It's more about look at the video content that's mm. become so relatable that each video is telling a different story, mm. how that product can be used, how that product can be perceived, whether this is in fashion, because it's all become about mood buying, really, hasn't it? So Absolutely. Um, I, I'm a big fan of social. I don't understand all of it. <laughs> I'll be the first one to say that. But in the sense when I, you know, if I'm scrolling through Pinterest or Instagram, you know, you see so much and it's just so very cool because there's a very big personality factor behind it that we didn't have three, four, five, six years ago, which is just quite a new dimension. So 
Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I, I think it comes down to the same thing. It's not an either or. You have to do both. Mm. And you have to just, I think the big thing is expertise within the organization. That's the biggest barrier. Um, and I think small organizations are nailing it just because they're a lot more agile and a lot more willing to explore. Whereas, you know, unfortunately, some of the bigger players, they, you know, perhaps they're a little bit more traditional in their yes. thinking. So it just takes a bit of time to get there. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Right, moving on to the uh, second part of the podcast. Um, so, uh, this, this is basically we ask a few questions about about uh, your company this time, Channel Advisor. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I've kind of just said it there, actually. <laughs> um, do you want to give us a little bit of a lowdown on what you guys at Channel Advisor do and where, where your role fits into that as well? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, at Channel Advisor, we've been helping brands and retailers for a number of years and uh, our mission really is is to connect with and optimize the world's commerce. So really what that means is um, we try and help brands and retailers uh, either expand sales through use of marketplaces, um, reach new consumers through digital marketing and uh, product content optimization. And then we also have something that's super interesting. It's last few years it's been a big hot topic is um, if you look at a, a brand, it's actually connecting all that traffic on their website with re- their retail partners. So they can go onto a retail partner site um, and actually complete the transaction. So there's there's quite a few different ways that we're we're working with brands. Um, it's quite complicated. There's quite a few options out there. So I do sympathise with them because there's just so much information out there, right? So yeah. it's it's trying to make sense of it and and see where you guys go. So um, I work on the uh, enterprise sales team. So I work with large brands and retailers uh, throughout Amir. So. It's quite fascinating because you you get to hear some really amazing stories of what people have done, but also the challenges they're facing, which I think... um yeah. Yeah, as a member of the public, sometimes you don't really get exactly. access to. Yeah. What are what are some of the challenges that they're facing? Because we don't want to hear the success stories, do we? Want to hear, <laughs> we want to hear what about the, failure? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's much more dramatic. Um, yeah, there's quite a few challenges. So um, some of it can be more to do with uh, if you look at their web store, their websites, for example. It's um, you know a lot of consumers spend a lot of time researching brands and, and looking into them, and then they they arrive at this website, and it's not quite pretty enough for them it's not sticky enough for them really there's there's not enough there to keep them and if you can't keep someone's engagement or attention whether that's the videos or, or just it, the, the kind of detailed content you need about your products then you can lose that consumer really really quickly um, so I think just the look and feel about a, a website is so so important having it mobile optimized is like number one and it's still it's painful when you when you speak to people and they really quite haven't got that together yet. Which um, and I think a lot of that is because there's been a seismic shift. Um, we all know um, pretty well about some big names closing recently and over the last couple of years. I think the figure in the last year alone, a year and a half, is like six thousand stores have closed down, um, which is huge. So uh, in the UK, so um, th- there's a massive challenge here just in terms of where people should be focusing on a lot of retailers and brands are closing stores and just focusing online now because that's where things are shifting and then the next wave of problems comes into your product data it's always been website ready but is it ready for all these new channels that you're you're looking to uh to get onto so yeah there's a lot of work going on out there to to get ready for the new wave is it getting harder to help them optimize across different channels because there are more channels available now so we, we spoke earlier about social becoming another channel and then you've got voice as well so having to is is it more of a challenge for you guys to to teach these brands and retailers about how to do it when there are new channels seemingly every 
few months <laughs> yeah it's exaggeration I, no it's so i don't think it's too hard to teach i think they they're all they've all got really awesome people working at those companies who, who are feeding back the same sort of information that we're seeing out there but i think the difference is we there's a level of detail we get through our partners like you know facebook google amazon ebay for example that other people aren't privy to so that's one thing that we can provide a little bit of help with um i think the the other element that um they're, they're really facing is, is trying not to run before they can walk. So like you said, there are so many different channels coming on. I think the other thing is it's becoming so easier now to sell in different countries. Um, and that's part of the enable program, enablement program we have. So um, it's just about making sure people are, are, have the foundations in place to do it well. Because if you start and get a little bit too aggressive it can you know be counterintuitive just in, in i mean if you look at marketplaces selling your, your health metrics are so important right in terms of visibility how you're going to be received fulfillment is like a massive uh problem for a lot of companies here and there because it's you know the scaling cost of actually fulfilling those products to the european countries it's squeezing your margin as you're going in so you need to be really careful about where you go in the, in the first instance just to make sure you mm. get it right get used to it because it's it is quite new for a lot of people. So mm. new in the sense of they are we're still operating very much in silos. So you'd have a campaign with a discount code or something and they'd be looking at oh, that was really successful, we generated loads of revenue, but then forgot to check if they all those were actually returned or not. So they're not actually tracking kind of beyond the action that happened online to actually kind of if that was returned or if that was kept. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot more systems now that are helping people just bridge that gap a little mm. bit um and, and make sure that they're not basically uh, there are a few people you speak to and they they start on this venture and then after six to eight months they realize it's completely not profitable and, right. and they've been scaling in the wrong way so one part that we're trying to support people with and we do so now is just that reporting element so that people have complete visibility over what's happening what isn't what's being returned what isn't um and how that's affecting bottom line so um it, it's especially interesting because now the hot topic with marketplace if you look at fashion it's being on certain channels over the others because it's about protecting the brand and how you're being perceived um so i think brands and retailers are facing different issues where retailers are really seeing the squeeze on their margin um whereas brands it's about where you're going to be placed and if you're ready to do that because a lot of them are reliant on their retail partners up until recently to execute that last mile mm. but now the focus is on them actually going direct to market so or direct to consumer so um it, it's the learning curve so it's quite interesting because you have two examples in the same space but it's you know one's following the other and it's yeah it's uh, it's a little yeah. bit messy sometimes and we we mentioned it earlier in the the topics that we discussed. Are you are you guys seeing um, more? I guess brands especially trying to conduct business through their own channels, so through their social page, through their own website, as opposed to maybe partnering with retailers. I think it's a mix. I think they're still doing a healthy mix because I think there is recognition that you need to have a, a blend of strategies in place. Um, I think the first priority or, or focus would always be to complete the transaction on their own website or mm. web store because it's better for them from a financial perspective um but they are also on the whole we're seeing this whole shift in mentality where people are happy now every every loads of major brands are now trying to cultivate an amazon strategy because i think mm. there is a recognition where i think it's like accounts for about 30 percent last year roughly of all retail sales and that's only going to grow and marketplace mm. as a whole is near 50 percent mark so the, the whole shift is that's where a, a lot of consumers are shopping. So people are developing that strategy. Um, 
and so I think there is a, a healthy blend there. It's just about how quickly they'll be able to scale up and down, really. Um, and especially when that comes into more countries get included in a different yeah. type of channel that may come up and they'll start selling on. And do you find that's causing challenges in terms of how these different teams are working, not just individually as teams, but also kind of how they're working together? I mean, we, talk, we talked about our social today. Social used to be seen as a branding channel. It was about visibility, nothing else. You'd never look at it as an acquisition channel. You'd never look at it as a way to actually drive sales to drive drive people to your site to then make a sale there and then but it's becoming more and more of that so there's, yeah. there's branding teams and acquisition teams that are now having to work more together that previously they've been completely separate are you seeing more of that happening are, are they causing challenges i think the to-do list is getting longer mm. for everyone um i i think it's it's causing challenges just because there's an absence of expertise and that's just because of the scale and speed of how the market's moving um so i think the biggest thing is sometimes people are just or brands are just unsure of what to do next right now so if we start planning for the next six to 12 months it's where is the focus going and a lot of the data that you're collecting in the last 20 12 months can change if there's been an absolute shift if instagram have changed something or they're offering something if a new channels coming in or a, typically a social channel but there's a buy button now coming involved as well um i think that the, the challenge is not knowing what to do next. And, and we're operating this space where we're trying to just catch up with all the data we're recording and where that's pointing to. So I think um, social media channels are a massive focus for everyone right now. Um, third party channels, um, more so in the last 18 months have become really, really relevant. And the actual mentality, like I said before, has shifted where people are more open to it than they were a couple of years ago when we were having those discussions, which is um, it's good for consumers. Mm. Interesting. Excellent. Um, I think we'll we will leave it there for today. Um, Nistar and Lindsay, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And thank you. We will see you next time on the Retail Tech Review.